Hello sword people, welcome to the Sword Guy podcast. This is your host, Dr. Guy Windsor, consulting swordsman, teacher and writer. Join me for interviews with historical fencing instructors and experts from a wide range of related disciplines as we discuss swords, history, training and bring the joy of historical martial arts into our modern lives. I'm here today with Mila Yandreevska, who no doubt will be correcting my pronunciation of her surname in just a moment, who is a historical martial arts practitioner and founder of the first and as far as I know only professional services company for businesses in the historical martial arts space. And I should perhaps mention that when I went looking for Mila as a podcast guest, I stumbled upon her business. And yes, we are now working together on some secret projects. So without further ado, Mila, welcome to the show. Hi, Guy. Thank you for having me. And just as a side note, your pronunciation is actually spot on. It's even better than my own boyfriend. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Maybe I should study Polish. That would be fun. Oh, good Um, luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did okay with Finnish. So I think if you can handle Finnish, you can handle pretty much any language the world chooses to throw at you. Okay. I'll be more than happy to have a full conversation in Polish with you if you'd like. So Uh, let's say a uh, year from now. (laughs) <laughs> nah, maybe a year and a half. Okay. Uh, just, just to orient everyone, um, so whereabouts in the world are you? So currently I'm actually in the Netherlands, in Leiden, which is approximately 30-minute drive from Amsterdam, just, you know, mm-hmm. the place that usually everyone recognizes. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I've been here for the past, oh my goodness, four and a half years, I believe. So I actually left the motherland, you know, in pursuit of adventure. Okay. And here I am. And it's so, been a trip. <laughs> Let's put it what, like that. What was the adventure? So, um, basically, I'm a type of person that really had issues finding their place. You know, I've been roaming mm-hmm. from one city to another. I covered a couple of countries uh, along the way. And I actually settled in the Netherlands for a guy. So wow. I'm, uh, I met my uh, now fiancé at the HIMA event, because where else? And we got together and it was pretty much, you know, a long-distance relationship until we decided that either we take it to the next level or we just, you know, uh, cut things here and now. Mm-hmm. And here I am, you know, close to, well, five years later, still with the same person, more cuts on the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And swords, for sure. <laughs> well, I yes, swords, for sure. Um, I know what it's like to move to a foreign country and to be living in a foreign country and working there and what have you. Because, um, you know, I've done it. I went to Finland. And then actually, when I moved to the UK, it really felt like moving to a foreign country. Because while I'm technically British, I haven't actually lived in Britain. Or I lived in England since I was five. I so, can really understand that. Like, yeah, so... What What is it like conducting business in the Netherlands as a Polish person? I mean, do you have to speak English all the time? Have you learned Dutch? Okay, so we are entering the realm of very uncomfortable questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, basically, how is it to conduct a business as a Polish person in the Netherlands? Well, let's put it like that. Um, being a foreigner in a country always comes with a lot of struggles whether they are job-related, whether they are family-related. It's a whole bunch of things that you need to unpack. 
But when it comes to the business side of things, um, there is a reason why I set up my own company. So let's start with that. Because when I moved uh, to the Netherlands, I first started to look for a job that uh, I was already developing in. So as you know, it's marketing and graphic design. And I had tremendous issues to actually get started. And I'm afraid that my nationality also played a role. Because I had uh, several very uh, uncomfortable instances where, for instance, my CV was rejected if it had a Polish surname. But if I submitted the same CV, but, you know, with uh, a Dutch surname, exactly the same thing. Suddenly I was invited for um, a second round of interview. So things like that makes you wonder. And I had that experience for, well, over a year before I decided that, hey, you know, it's time to take the matters in my own hand. So if I am not able to find a career path uh, in the Netherlands, I'm going to create it myself. And this is pretty much where I am uh, I am at. Three years uh, later, I have my own business. Um, I run it with success. And I'm really proud where I, where I got here. But the start were, well, the start was, let's say, very difficult, but... Uh, I think okay. Yeah, I, I had, yeah, I had no idea that you started your business because no one would give you a job in Holland because you were Polish. That's <laughs> that's, that's that's honestly very very crap. But also, ultimately, um, it's it. I mean, for you at least, and for your clients, it's it's turned out to be a good thing. You know, the thing is that uh, the Netherlands is perceived to be a very tolerant country. And for sure, in a lot of fields, they are. However, there is still quite a bit of an issue of racism when it comes to employment. And Slavic people especially are facing that. But it's not only in the Netherlands. It's uh, the one in general. Because we are perceived that we should be doing specific types of manual jobs, for instance. and. Sometimes it can go uh, over someone's head that, hey, there is a little bit more to life than, you know, just working on a factory line, for instance, that we have education. Like, uh, Polish people, for instance, are one of the best education, uh, educated nations in the world. So many of us graduate from university with honors. And, <laughs> and uh, you have difficulty getting hired afterwards because of where you happen to be from. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, but I don't let it stop me, pretty much. I have got the impression you don't let much stop you, to be honest. No, I'm stubborn as fuck, let's put it like this. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if one door is closed, I'm either going to find the second one or I'm just going to enter, you know, kick yeah. it. Get a um, fire axe and chop it down. Pretty much. Uh, um, you need to fight in life for what you want and what you believe in. Nothing yeah. is handed down to you. Okay. Um, so you originally went to Holland for a sword fighting event, so you were doing swords and whatnot before that. So what was, um, how did you get into the sword thing? So my beginning with sword fighting is uh, unfortunately a rather sad story. Go on. Um, Probably as a lot of people, I've been growing up fascinated with Lord of the Rings, with games, with knights, um, all that stories that pretty much bring us together. 
But when I decided that I would like to learn sword fighting, because, I mean, who wouldn't like to do that? Who wouldn't like to try it, right? Um, I found a group that uh, was teaching sword fighting in my hometown in Torun. But when I approached them and asked whether, hey, you know, I would like to learn, can you please show me? I heard that since I'm a woman, I cannot be taught. Ah! Ah! Oh, fuck! I I didn't know that still happened. (laughs) Yeah, that was in the 90s, you know, that was around 2010 or so, 2009, earlier than that. So let's put it like that. That's still pretty fresh history. What so, absolute? Yeah. Oh I my heard god! Apparently, since I'm a woman, I should be taking dancing lessons. Well, anyone who's seen me dancing, they know that I for sure need them. That's one thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't enjoy it. That's, uh... So yeah, that was the first uh, first instance. I was simply rejected by uh, the first club that I approached. Wow. Um, and as you can imagine, that. Uh, that was that felt like quite a defeat, and I was still extremely young. So rejection at this point, you know, you feel it way more severely than when you're 30, 40, 50. Um, and at that time, well, I decided not to pursue it in an organ, uh, organized way. So what my brother did is he actually made me a saber, you know, out of a steel rod. It was heavy as fuck, <laughs> but he actually made it himself, and he gave it to me. Oh, yeah, that was really sweet. And you know, not long after that, I uh, I graduated from a university, and I found a job at SPES. All right. uh, Once I actually uh, got connected with the people at uh, SPES, I got introduced to well a healthy club culture, where it wasn't a problem that I'm a woman. I mean, right? Why should it be? Why should it be? But you know, <laughs> you know the, the the history actually proves that apparently it is. So hang on, hang on. So your first job after university was with Spes. Yep. Very now much there's going to there are going to be some listeners who don't know who Spes are. So if you could just explain. So Spes Historical Fencing Gear is one of the biggest manufacturers of uh, historical martial arts gear, pretty much in the world. They're the first one who created uh, a jacket that. Well, most of us are still wearing today uh, the AP jacket, either mm-hmm. light or, you know, the regular one. First, that created the really solid gloves for uh, people to use during sparring. So what we now know as lobster gloves. So mm-hmm. they were literally one of the first companies to uh, start a business, you know, around our space that was dedicated for historical fencing and not just reenactment. So that was really amazing you know to be a so part what of were you doing for them i was actually running sales department really? believe it or not they trusted me with that <laughs> <laughs> but i was doing uh yeah sales department customer service so everything that goes around that and actually started to first uh play with social media because you know what is it 10 years ago 12 years ago we were all just starting, you know, using Facebook uh, as a platform to exchange ideas or to build community. Wow. Okay. So you're there working at SPES in their sales department and you sort of take up swords in a local club or do the guys at SPES do, do swords? Actually, Andrzej, so uh, the owner of SPES Historical Fencing, he was running mm-hmm. a club. 
So I was able okay. to join the classes over there and experience what it's like to actually, you know, learn sword fighting from people who love it. And I would say that was kind of in the job description that you should be doing, Hima, if you wanted to work <laughs> company. Fair. Um, you know, that small print at the, at the end of the agreement that you get. But it was, it was really fun. You know, I loved it. And I started to travel to events and, yeah. So were you traveling to events as a fencer or as a spes rep or both? Um, mostly as a fencer. Um, at the time when I was at spes, uh, I was mostly doing office work. Uh, I don't think that they were yet comfortable to just let me, you know, run in the wild. <laughs> 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 like that. But I started to do uh, some local events uh, to meet people, to, to build mm -hmm. a network. And, of course, uh, Facebook. So social media started to be, you know, a big focus of my world because pretty much all the Hima is there. Yep. Still, 10 years later, we are mostly, you know, hugging towards uh, Facebook groups. And uh, that's where the most of the conversation happens, right? Yeah. So, I, mean, I, I don't go there myself, as you know, but, but yes. That's I know why you have me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so... What were you working with Spes all the way up until you moved to Holland, or no? So uh, I stayed at Spes for about a year and a half. I okay, believe. that's not long. And then I was offered a job in Germany, so okay. I decided to uh, to take it. And it was pretty much running a Hima shop over there, Sword Experts. It was in Hanover. Okay. So uh, I pretty much continued from one Hima company to another. Um, right, okay. I was very young at the time, and it was uh, such a huge change just to, you know, move to a foreign country. Mm -hmm. um, and take Do you speak German? Uh, I did. Now I just speak Dutch, because okay. something just happens to me if I'm supposed to switch between uh, German and Dutch. My I mean, yeah, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're too close together. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so I was in Germany for about two years running a shop over there. And I decided that uh, that was a little bit too much for me. So I decided to go back to Poland. However, uh, I moved to Łódź. And uh, I started to work for uh, a company that resells uh, faux fur and leather. So let's say that's a completely different thing. Oh, wow. That's um, different. However, they were still, you know, one of the biggest uh, manufacturers in Europe. So it mm -hmm. was a very good place to be and to learn. And over there, I pretty much started to uh, develop graphic design. So I decided I really want to focus on marketing. Um, this is something that makes me happy instead of, you know, chasing the numbers. Yeah. So that was Wooch. Then I was spending a lot of time in Brabant in the Netherlands. So, you know, I was going back and forth pretty much. Um, yeah, they're not that far apart, though. I mean, Netherlands and Poland, not they're quite close together. Ah, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, if it was Portugal and Poland, you'd have, you'd have struggled a bit. No, I don't think that the climate would agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's about, the, I don't know, 1,200 kilometers probably. Yeah. So, you know, I, I still was looking for my place. Let's put it like that. But when I was in Woolwich, I, uh, I visited one of the events in the Netherlands, uh, the Dutch Lions Cup. 
And mm. that's pretty much where I reconnected with Oscar, with my partner. So from there on, we pretty much got together. We tried the long distance thing, as I mentioned to you. And after six months, I pretty much uprooted my whole life and moved to the Netherlands uh, to be with him, to adopt kitties, <laughs> <laughs> grow our personal armory. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um, so you're, you work for two significant historical martial arts companies, equipment companies, and then for a leather and fur producer, and then move to the Netherlands, look for a job doing something marketing related and then decide, fuck it, I'm just going to start a company. Kind of. You know, the thing about marketing is, and I think about any job that you do, you mm. need to like what you do every day. If you have yeah. a hatred for, you know, for your workplace, then you're not going to be happy. And I was also yeah. weighing that. I, see, I wish I'd known that. I, I, I hate swords, but I just, just took up swords anyway, just because I thought I'd make loads of money. And so I'm miserable all the time, and I still haven't made loads of money. And yeah, no, totally. <laughs> You're not good at this whole advertising thing, are you? <laughs> no, I'm really not. <laughs> no, I couldn't agree more. It's like it, you're going to spend an awful lot of your adult life at work, so it should be something I think that you either you either believe it to be truly meaningful, in which case it, yeah. it's nice if you enjoy it, but it doesn't truly matter, um, or you really enjoy it, or both. I I've gone with both. both. You know, that's perfect. That's perfect. I think that yeah. I am at the place where um, I can say that I combine both because I genuinely believe in what I do. Uh, I see how much it helps uh, businesses in our community how much it helps the people that are behind the businesses. Because I really hate just having, you know, a professional relationship. Professional relationship is just, uh, it's as if you had to stick up your ass. They you don't, to, and they're not real. They don't really no, exist. Because all all human relationships are, by definition, per personal. Yeah. So I have a basic rule, in fact, if I, wouldn't, if I wouldn't want to, you know, hang out with a person and go for a beer or something, I wouldn't hire them. Yep, this is simply not something that's going to work. We yeah. need to like each other. We need to enjoy talking to each other. And pretty much the relationship develops, you know. Um, I travel to see my clients that become friends, um, mm -hmm. still are. And I just love doing that, right? When we meet at the event, we need to be able to look at, you know, each other in the eye. And, yeah, we still feel good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and... Um... And the notion that you can somehow separate, it's like, it's only business. I just don't buy it. It's just not. I admire I know some people, some people live that way. And I think that's probably why they hate their jobs. <laughs> probably. <laughs> but I, I also admire people who can do that. Because sometimes, and I think that you agree with me, sometimes you also need to know how to unplug. Yeah, for sure. How to close your computer and how to go and spend time with your family, with your friends, yeah. and just not think about that. That's something I'm still working on. It's hard. It um, is. For me, it got easier when I had kids because the kids are vastly more important than the business or the swords or any other aspect of it. 
So I have no trouble dropping business stuff if there's some kind of emergency with the kids. But also, I've always sort of prioritized time with the children. So I wouldn't, I don't go away too often. I don't, um, well, put it this way. When my eldest child was about four, and I was pushing her on the swing, and she really, really liked being pushed on the swing. And I'd spent about an hour a day pushing her on the swing, pretty much since she was about six months old, like old enough to actually sit in the swing, right? That's a good and, time. And just, just, but you know, and the kids having a really good time, and we were playing, and, it, and it's great fun. But some back of my mind, I was just doing this little mini calculation as to how many hours I'd spent pushing the swing, and I figured out that in that time, I could easily have written another book, right? But, but. In that same thought, it was, but this is a much better way of spending time. <laughs> you can never trade those hours. Exactly. Know? Yeah. That's They're only little for a short thing while. That's going to matter. You know, when she grows up, she's going to be looking at those moments spent with her dad. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Fact, it was, well, it was Father's Day um, on Sunday. And what I like to do on Father's Day, I have two daughters. And I, I, I generally do better one-on-one anyway. I, I just prefer one-on-one rather than a big group um and yes we do stuff as a family quite a lot but on father's day i get to do what i want pretty much and so i got each child to choose a thing they wanted to do with me just the two of us and my eldest wanted to go for a drive down to felix day walk along the uh, the beachy thing mm-hmm. esplanade whatever you call it Pier, yeah. and back then we just like chatted for like two and a half hours it was awesome and my youngest wanted to go to ninja tag and race around scoring points. You have this wrist tag thing, and there are these lights in this on these various assault coursey type things. You have to climb up things and crawl under things and do all that sort of thing. <laughs> like and go around scoring <laughs> scoring points. How did you do? <laughs> um, I did all right. I got twenty three thousand points. She got sixteen thousand three hundred. Okay. So, so you know, but but last time we went, I got sixteen thousand, and she got six thousand. So. You know, we're both getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, she was really hoping she was going to beat me this time, but she beat my last score. She didn't beat. Me. Oh, that's quite an improvement, you know. Yeah, I totally. She's going to kick your ass, I believe. <laughs> of course, she will. <laughs> it's only a matter of time and practice. Um, so yeah, so the, the the notion that well, really, I should have got some work done—it's just absurd. No, yeah. you can't think like that. No. Be in the moment. Enjoy your family. Yeah. But, you know, frankly, there are an awful lot of people who don't have that luxury. Like, because if they do that, the family doesn't eat or gets kicked out of the house. It's like, yeah. So the business side of things basically pays for me being able to take as much time off as I want to hang out with my children while they still want to hang out with their old man. (laughs) <laughs> I think that both of us need to appreciate that we are in a pretty comfortable position yeah, yeah. to be able to do that. And for instance, I come from a house where my parents didn't have the luxury to spend so much time with us mm. because they had to go to work. They were working shifts, constantly passing each other in the doorway and then needing to care for me and my brother. So I didn't have that. Whenever we had some time off, you know, they try to take us for trips, uh, try to do some fun things together. But for sure, we didn't have as much time as we would like to. 
And that's what I'm trying to do now, trying to reclaim the lost time and spend as much time with my parents as I can. Oh. I can take my laptop, you know, to Poland. Sure. Um, I can just drop things, you know, for a week and nothing will be burning and just, you know, be right. with my mom. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's important. Um, mm -hmm. ah, we don't normally get into such serious territory on this show. <laughs> this oh, <is> yeah. <laughs> Eyes are sweating and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but actually, yeah, it, the, there's an ethical component to, um, see, I think everyone should basically be able to make enough money to be able to take as much time off as they need to go spend with their kids, right? And yes, I could do it, and that's great, but it would be really, really good if everyone else could do it too. Well, the point is that uh, as human beings, unfortunately, we also stopped prioritizing mental health. And everything revolves around uh, making money, going to work. And what I personally uh, find extremely annoying is that uh, you are not able to support a family, for instance, on a single income. That's a dream long gone. Two incomes is uh, already quite difficult, but more manageable. However, on top of that, you still have a lot of housework. You need to spend time uh, preparing meals, making sure that your house is clean, spending time with your children. And we absolutely don't reward that. We expect that someone is going to work for eight hours and then spend another few hours working at home. And how are yeah. you supposed to make it? Well, I've, I've never... Sort of accepted that proposition as a way of, of living at all it's like no um so yeah so some people i know think i'm very lazy because i don't work 40 hours a week i really don't i maybe get four hours of pretty intense work done pretty much five days a week and then that's and then if i'm traveling and teaching that's on that's on top but yeah, I, it's, it's, I think an, an awful lot of what people spend those eight hours doing is bollocks. It's not necessary. It's already proven that right. if you should work, for instance, three or four days a week, tops, for what, six, right. seven hours maybe? And, you know, that's one of the things I like about working with freelancers rather than employees is that a freelancer... Um, agrees a certain amount of work to be done for a certain amount of money, like make me a book cover or lay out a book or whatever. And if they have a way of doing it to the necessary standard in half an hour, or it takes five hours, I don't know or care, right? They charge what they charge for the job that's done. And if they can, if they, if it looks like they're getting an hourly rate of like 300 quid an hour, good for them. If I can afford to pay that much for that thing, I I don't have any vested interest in saying, oh, yes, but you were 10 minutes late getting to work this morning. We need to have a discussion about this. Oh. Right. So can you imagine? Can you imagine what, how? No. Oh, <laughs> that no. wouldn't go. <laughs> no. But, you know, um, what you're paid as a freelancer, um, ideally, if you're in a position where you can already do that, it should reflect your experience. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. 
So if I'm bringing to the table 12 years of experience, professional experience, this should be rewarded. Yeah, and, I agree. You know, at the job you get, I, I don't know what's the standard wage right now. Let's say 15 euro per hour. Maybe if you're hired, then it's a bit of a joke. Yeah. And 2,000 work hours a year, that's 30,000 a year. Taxes off that, that's not a lot to live on if it takes up all your time. And then try to get a mortgage on that, for instance. Because yeah. in the Netherlands, we have a huge housing crisis. Um, it's impossible to get a mortgage without, you know, um, sacrificing your firstborn and the liver on top of that. I don't have Yeah, it used to be just a firstborn. But now they're, 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 they want half your liver too. It's true. And a kidney if it's a nice house. But, um, kidneys, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so your company... Audacia Creative uh, is the first historical martial arts professional service company. So I'm guessing that most people listening don't actually know what that is. <laughs> Probably not. Because <laughs> honestly, I'm not 100% sure, and I've hired you, so there we go. <laughs> okay, it means that I had a very good pitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what my company focuses on is giving a platform for the brands to share their story, share their work because we have so many amazing creators amongst us. We have you with your amazing collection of books. We have sword makers. We have gear manufacturers. And what I focus on is making sure that we know about the wonderful work that they do, that we can create a community around the vision that they have. Okay. Um, that's like the top-level strategic view of what you're doing. What are the actual specific like individual things you might do so somebody might hire you to for instance one of the things that i do is manage social media platforms i usually focus on facebook and instagram since most of our community is actually located over there i create a marketing strategy which we're discussing what exactly we're doing what are our goals and how we're going to achieve them uh, I am creating content calendar, which pretty much describes what we are posting, when, uh, what exactly do we want to uh, achieve with the graphics and, and the information that we're sharing. Um, I am also doing audits uh, for HEMA companies and clubs, actually, where I'm just going into the details of their social media activity and being, you know, as critical as I can, because uh, <laughs> the audits are pretty much, you know, um, bitching about what's going wrong and making suggestions how to improve that. And I try to approach it in a relaxed way. You know, what I hate is working with people that have a stick up their ass. So if someone is one of them, we're definitely not getting along. But if you're crazy, if you have that spark of creativity about you, then we're going to have an excellent time. Okay. That's a pretty good explanation of, of what a professional services company in this case is doing. So you're creating graphics and um, social media posts and things like that to post on your clients' social media platforms to basically make the people who already like the client um, like them more and, so, and to get the word out so that people who haven't necessarily heard of your client yet I'm more likely to hear about them and get a positive impression. Is that fair? Exactly. I mean, yes. there are so many companies that deserve that spotlight. 
Yeah, I just as a matter of transparency, I should point out that when this thing goes live in, it's probably going to go out in August. Um, you will all have been handling my social media for about a month by that point. And <laughs> I would guess that the average person who listens to the show who has come across me on social media will go, what the hell is going on with Guy's Facebook? Because he's never here. But suddenly, all this stuff is happening. Suddenly, beautiful graphics. Suddenly, I know. responding to your comments. So, suddenly, <laughs> like, people. It's, it's all professional. Yeah, okay, and, and you just mentioned something in passing but we haven't said before, but you're actually going to be answering comments. So when somebody comments on something, it's the funniest thing to me, right? I, let's say I'm running ads on Facebook for one of my courses. Mm-hmm. People will comment on that ad as if it was like a, a regular, regular post. post. Mm-hmm. Right. Which makes no sense to me. It would never occur to me in a million years to do that because why would why would you comment on an ad? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. But people do. People do. Right. And because I don't go there, I don't see this until maybe somebody two weeks later sends me an email saying, did you realize that so-and-so made a very snarky remark about your, like, I don't want to know that. Or, or did you know that so-and-so is asking whether they can get this book that you're, this ebook you're advertising as a print book? Ah, and I go, oh yes, well, I should go in and tell them. Yes, actually, of course you can. But it's like, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to like go into Facebook because the minute I go into Facebook, what will happen is I will get distracted from what it was I went to do and I will lose half an hour to random shite (laughs) and almost certainly see something that is upsetting or distressing in some way, right? It could be about somebody saying something nasty about what my books or about me personally could be something bad has happened in the world and everyone seems to think it's a good idea to share pictures of unknown dead puppies mm-hmm. or something right okay oh, that's, you that's would... very fast. <laughs> right and 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 it's like if i go there i'm just gonna waste a lot of time and be miserable so i don't i just don't go so you're gonna go there for me which may... Quite too much um let's face it uh, internet can be a very dangerous place and you should never go alone. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the thing is that most of our community is really wonderful people. So the sure. feedback that we are receiving is uh, heartwarming, is positive. But there is always this one dickhead who just comes to spoil your day. And uh, their main focus is just to make sure that you're as miserable as they are. And the goal is you know, don't engage. Yeah, sure. Just leave it. Um, if you approach it, you know, uh, with love and positivity, this probably won't work. If you approach it in the same manner as they do, you have a shitstorm. Um, so I try to avoid that. There's always someone who's not going to like what you're doing, who's always going to have something to say about your work, about your dog, you know, whatever you're doing. But... You know, let them. Yeah, I, that's my view. Is I don't ever share anything that I don't think. If I don't think I'm doing people a favor by sharing it, and when I do come across trolly stuff, I just ignore it, block or delete if that's available, or just ignore it. But it's still 
unpleasant. It is, and I understand that. Um, if you can, for instance, if you are a creator in any form, um, it's better to hire someone who's going to manage, for instance, the comments and the audience for you and just filter. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you don't take personally what someone um, right. says it's, that they can. If somebody says something horrible about my friend's book, I know the poster is an idiot, but it's not personally offensive to me. It doesn't make me feel particularly bad, mm -hmm. right? Because I know that this is just the stuff that when you produce a book, some people are going to hate it. Some people are going to hate you for writing it. doesn't matter what the book is. This is always true. Um, and so I can take that detached attitude to my friend's work, but when it's my own, it's like, that's my baby. You can't call it ugly or I'll get very upset. <laughs> You know, um, I can say that, you know, don't take it personally, don't dive into comment section, but I do have experiences like that as well. I mean, I have sure. my Instagram channel, Messer Girl, and I post humor-related things over there. Um, and quite often I'm also getting comments from people not necessarily related to the community, as in, um, you're a woman, why are you using swords? So no. back to 2009. And you know, flashbacks and everything, or uh, that wouldn't work in the street, which is one of my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what street do you live on? I mean, Jesus, <laughs> you chop somebody's head off with a sword, it works on any street. Trust me, I mean, what I have over here are cats and seagulls in the street, and you know, that's the extent of it. <laughs> uh, for the love of God, you know, I, I get lots of stuff like that, and I shouldn't dive into it. So I try not to, but it still affects me. I mean, I'm a person. I have feelings. Sure. So why won't to share with people what I love doing, right? I yeah. don't and, want to invite someone like that. And I, as a woman, you probably also get lots and lots of, like, concern trolling. Yeah. Or, or mansplaining. Or... You get a lot of that? I, I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not surprised? It's like, it's like every woman I ever talk to has this exact same problem. You'd almost think maybe, maybe there's a, I don't know. You know, but the thing is, uh, when we, you know, discuss things like that amongst, uh, amongst women, non-binary folk, um, we have the same stories. And since every one of us has the same story about, you know, harassment, why aren't we doing something about that? Why is it still a problem, 2022, and we deal with shit like that? Yeah, what is there to be done? What, what, what practical steps can be taken that would actually work? You know, um, I think that a lot also depends on our upbringing. Because sure. women in general are brought up to take less space, to be polite, mm -hmm. to be accommodating. Yeah. And personally, I'm trying to fight this. And just I on the side, you should meet my younger daughter. She has not absorbed any of that from the culture around her. Very good. You know, it's only going to be easier for her. Yes. But the thing is that you don't owe anyone politeness. You don't owe anyone smiles. You don't yeah. owe anyone to be accommodating. Um, 
and what we need to learn is pretty much how to stand our ground and how to reclaim that space that has been taken from us, how to reclaim the voices. See, you're, you're looking at it from the perspective of what women can do. Um, I was thinking more like, how do we stop the behavior that's causing the problem? Well, for instance, we can stop with the practice of missing stairs in the community. When we know that the person exhibits concerning behavior, quite often we just discuss this, for instance, at events with whispers or over a beer. We don't necessarily correct that behavior in a public space. Okay. Yeah, fair. Um, missing stare. That's, I'm familiar with it, but it's, I'm guessing half the listeners will probably not know what that means. So a missing stare is a person that everyone knows that they should stay away from, but no one really uh, speaks out loud about that. So okay. it's a, well, let's put it frankly, a predator, for instance. Whether right. it's a man or a woman, we have those people. Okay. And so that's, that's sort of in the real world, um, sort of in real life, as it were. Online, that's, I think it may be, one simple thing would be a system of like effective reporting to the platform and the platform actually doing something about it. That might, that might That would be helpful, but we all know that Facebook is not really a place to do that, nor Instagram, it's just one universe. But yeah, but the the problem with both of those platforms is that the, the, customers of the advertisers, not the profile owners, not, not the, the people on the platform are not the customers. So the business cares about its customers. It doesn't care about its not customers. Mm-hmm. So I mean, one thing, wouldn't it be awesome if you actually had to pay for something like Facebook, maybe like $2 a month or something? That by itself, I think would cut out most of it. Interesting. I think that we take for granted things that are free, right? Right. But also, when it, when it's free, you have no rights. You have no real right to complain. You have no real right to change anything. And things can be changed at will. I mean, this is why. Um, and when we were chatting yesterday about content, um, to uh, scheduling mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. Yeah, content. And I said, yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, I never. Uh, not for a long time, um, post stuff directly on places like Facebook, right? So I don't create a post in Facebook. I create a post on my blog that I own and I share it to Facebook because I don't want to build things on a platform which I don't have an ownership stake in because then I have no, I'm not the customer. Same reason I moved all my videos off YouTube and deleted my YouTube account and I moved them onto Vimeo because on Vimeo, I am the customer. I pay them money to host my, my videos. The relationship is really clear. On YouTube, I am just somebody producing free content for them to make advertising money off, which doesn't, doesn't ever strike me as a good thing. Unfortunately not. Uh, however, we also need to take into account uh, where is your customer? Uh, yeah. Our customers, our HEMA customers, they're on, exactly. they're on Facebook. Which they're is why I'm paying you to sort them out for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you need to be there pretty much where your community is, right? And our community sure. is 
predominantly located on Facebook. We no longer sure. use forums, right? Like years ago, everyone but, was a forum. But my my Discord server is quite active. Discord, so, yeah, that's another. Yeah, place. I have I have uh, for people who if they buy a book or uh, support me on Patreon or buy a course or whatever, they get invited onto the Discord server. And so there's like a filtering process. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, and also all my podcast guests get invited. So, you know, Ooh. not all of them come, but I will be sending you a Discord <laughs> invitation. You are very welcome to come. Entirely, entirely non-professional. This is just you, you know, you yourself, you don't have to work there. You can just chat with sword people. And so far, it's been running for well over a year, maybe two years now. Mm-hmm. And it's it's lovely. You go there and, and people talk about sword stuff and manuscripts and gardening and various other things that they're interested in and share pictures of their new sword and that sort of thing. And there's absolutely no snark at all. That's interesting. Because whenever you engage in a conversation on Facebook in one of the groups, Jesus, you know, um, first 10 comments, they might be on topic, and then yeah. it starts. And then it goes, you know. Yeah, it goes to shit so, so quickly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I just poke Oscar. Why is he molesting the keyboard so much? And he's, oh, someone disagrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, no. This is, no. A, this is no, don't go there. Because, because no, you could spend your whole life correcting people who are wrong on the internet, and <laughs> yeah, they would I, still not agree with you. No, I do think, however, that it's one of his favorite pastime activities. <laughs> well, if you enjoy it, then fine. Um, yeah, but I have to say that I miss, uh, I miss the warm atmosphere of actually discussion, of having healthy conversation with people without mm-hmm. going personal. Um. Just, you know, two folks enjoying the same hobby and nerding out, you know, as I, as you say about the new sort, you know. Um, I would like to be able to do that. So, Well, well I'll, I will send you a Discord link. <laughs> Looking <laughs> forward to that. I will do it straight away. There's no need to wait until this comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a fantastic place. Yeah, and, and it's lovely. And, yeah, we've got, you know, Michael Chester and Jessica Finley discussing aspects of a German manuscript. It's like, so I, I often don't get it. I just, I just read it and go, I didn't know that. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> it's that's great. Cool. Yeah. Um, so what, what made you think that there was, and you were clearly right to think here. Yeah, this is not a, what were you thinking mm-hmm. question. What made you think that there was actually a, an, a, um, a role or a niche for your company within such a specific small niche of the market worldwide. Like historical martial arts is tiny compared it's to say baseball. Tiny. It's very tiny, and uh, most of people also know each other, right? Yeah, each other at events. You know, we catch up uh, during the weekends. Um, I wanted to make sure that people can continue doing what they love. So mm-hmm. if you're writing books, I would like you to keep doing that. I want you to be able to create uh, courses for your um, for your students. You don't need to take care of uh, other sides of business. 
like genuinely you should focus only what makes you happy you don't have to take care of every aspect of of running a company right right i've had an accountant since i moved to finland in 2001 and i've yeah. never done my own accounts at all ever why would i i am not touching that either because like me and numbers that's not a good combination <laughs> i stray <laughs> away from that but I wanted to be able to help companies who uh, need to get the word out about uh, the wonderful projects that they do, but they don't have time. If you ever discussed, for instance, with sword makers, they are the most busy people I've yeah. met in my life. And they work such long hours. Oh, my God. Monday to Sunday, you know, sun, <laughs> sunrise to sundown, pretty much. And uh, the other thing is... The companies don't have budgets to hire dedicated people uh, on a contract that will be doing, you know, 40 hours, like we said, yeah. work for them. So I think that it's extremely important to be flexible. And as a freelancer, as someone who, you know, runs their own business, I can do that. I can devote five hours to this company. I can devote, you know, 20 hours to this company to make sure that all their needs are met and they're not breaking the bank doing that. Okay, so that's, did you actually do any like market research or business plans or anything like that before you started? I did. Actually, Loki, I think that I performed the biggest market research in the HEMA community. Okay. Listing all the clubs that we have in the world. Um, it took me actually several months. But By which time it's almost certain out of date because there'll be another club that started and then at least one club has died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, the sad thing is that a lot of clubs didn't make it through the pandemic. Right? Yeah, true. So they had to close doors, and that's really unfortunate. But yes, I, I did plenty of market research or, or business strategies. Uh, this is, however, not something that I fully enjoy. If I have to do that, I will, but I will always take creative work over that. Yeah, I've never done a business plan in my life. And how is it going for you? Just fine. Exactly. Not everyone <laughs> needs it. <laughs> you know, I was surprised. Like when I was talking to um, fresh business owners, in some countries, we actually need to bring a business plan to the Chamber of Commerce when you uh, register your business. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't have that. You know, I just went, I registered, and I thought that I'll figure it along the way. Either it yeah. works or it doesn't. If it doesn't, we'll figure out something else. Mm. Yeah, and, and to my mind, the main purpose of a business plan is to persuade banks or investors or whatever to give you money. And if you're not looking for investors, what do you want a business plan for? Because it's mostly made up anyway, and it's like predictions of the future, which will never, ever come quite true. Even if you're very, very good, they're not going to be exactly right. Exactly. So. Well, for me, for instance, this is not the business model that I want to pursue. If you have investors, you have <laughs> so many leashes around your neck. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. Restraints. You, you owe people, you know, explanations, results, you know, most important. And I wouldn't like to do that. If it's, you know, if it's me and, and my team, we have way more flexibility to do whatever we want to do, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And... You know, a client is like an investor in that sense. There's a certain accountability. Um, 
like you know you say you're going to do this this stuff by this time it needs to yes. get done because that's otherwise you lose your credibility but it's not the same thing as an investor no that's a completely different relationship uh, I know a couple of my friends that have to deal, for instance, with investors, and they're mm. one of the most trust people that I know in my yeah. life. So, no, uh, I am happy just, you know, running my business as it is. Um, yeah. Probably, you know, bringing on board someone in the near future. Mm. Because, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, um, my company is quite popular. So right now I am actually in need of someone who's going to help me out over here. Ah, okay. This is a good good opportunity to okay, be really specific about what you want and say it on air because there may be somebody listening who is mad about swords, likes what they've heard from you talking for the last hour, they think, oh, she's nice, and has the necessary skill set. Go. Genuinely, I am looking for someone who first and foremost loves HEMA. If you have any form of creative sense, if you love working with graphic design, if you are familiar with the, how social media works, that's enough for me. So you graphic design, to... social media experience and sort of mm -hmm. you, you like social media and you're mad about sorts. That's actually a pretty, pretty low level, fairly broad skills that you should get. There's no shortage of people with those qualifications. Do they have to live in Holland? No, absolutely not. Some of my uh, team members live in Poland, for instance. Some of them are in the States. Uh, mm -hmm. That's completely irrelevant. But they need to be passionate about HEMA and what we do. If we have that, you know, we can develop anything else. So okay. if that sounds like something you would like to do, just, you know, uh, get in touch info at adatiacreative.com and I'll be oh, happy. You just put your email address out on the internet. Oh, no. Oh, I no. did that, I, but I have spam filters. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I refuse any dick pictures, okay? Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so what I was going to say is, is okay, um, if you go to the show notes of this episode, you can find a contact page for me and I will happily relay any message you have for Mila. But no, you've just got to put your, your email address out there. skip that. Why give you more work? <laughs> well, that's very sweet of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so I've never actually used this podcast as a, as a kind of uh, historical martial arts specific LinkedIn. But who knows? You may get, you may get your perfect hire through... <laughs> There is a first time for everything, <laughs> but it would genuinely be nice to have someone uh, where I can, you know, spark the ideas with or, or come up with, you know, some new amazing projects. So you're looking at someone to sort of build graphics and manage social media accounts and also sort of take a kind of creative interest in the business itself? Kind of like a mini me. So I would okay. be happy to teach someone, you know, what I know, what I learned, you know, mm -hmm. um, during my 10 10 years pretty much of working with HEMA and be able to develop. Because apart from okay. HEMA, I actually have also contacts, uh, contacts with companies creating movie props, um, reenactment gear. So, you know, the niche is kind of expanding as well. Okay. But we're always working with something that's nerdy. You know, I refuse right. to just do mainstream because that's not yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And also, it's difficult to find the people who are interested in that specific thing. 
It's like, it's really easy to find people who are interested in swords generally, long swords in particular, medieval Italian long sword in very particular. And if they're into that, they're probably going to like my books and my courses on that subject, right? Whereas, right. whereas just like swords in general, it's, it's too general. It's not specific enough. You can't, it says, it's, I, I think it's really helpful to be able to kind of, if you have any kind of product, to be able to make it really, really specific exactly who it's for. And hitting that target's easy. And from the target, it will expand out into a broader market. You know, the thing is that you need to also have specific knowledge how a given niche works, mm -hmm. right? Where to find your customer, where to find your people. Um, and I am not going to uh, jump into another niche let's put it restaurants i know nothing about restaurants i love going there but i wouldn't feel comfortable uh offering my services uh to a pub for instance right does it interest me i have no knowledge uh what their customers like what they're doing whereas when it comes to you know hema like this is my jam this is my hobby this is my passion my work and uh yeah i, I pretty much know everything about the world <laughs> okay. and, <laughs> I have people in it who, you know, do so many wonderful things. It's just, yeah, that's what I want to do. Excellent. Um, so what is the best idea you haven't acted on yet? Hmm. You know, when you actually forwarded the questions to me, because, you know, side note, I got a couple of <laughs> questions to prepare for, uh, for our podcast. I was actually talking to Oscar. And he told me something really funny, funny for me, is I always act on every single idea I have. And either it works or it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> but I don't just let uh, things lie, you know. I've tried so many different things in my life. Um, I used to be, for instance, uh, a private detective. I used to be. Ah, oh, 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 hold on <laughs> a second. You were a private detective. I was actually for a couple of years. I was doing that in Poland. Where? So where in Poland? Uh, in my hometown in Torun. Okay. And what did it entail? Oh, there, <laughs> you know, um, obviously I can't talk a lot about uh, what actions we did, but there were, you know, quite a lot of uh, undercover visits. Let's put it like that. At companies at, um, looking for people as well. Uh, so finding missing working. persons. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Divorces. There were, Did you have, were there many divorce cases where somebody thinks their spouse is having an affair and you go tail them? There are That's cases it. like that, but I've never touched them. Okay. Uh, you never know what exactly the story is. And I yeah, didn't yeah. do something where okay. um, I chose the wrong side, you know, so I stayed clear from that. Okay. But theft, investigating theft, for instance, stuff okay. like that. How did you get into that? Well, I was a broke student and I needed money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, pretty much it was, uh, first action was through a friend and then it just went. So you, know? you applied to an agency and they trained you or? Well, it was, uh, everything was kind of a little bit more um, in the shadows, let's put it like that. Okay. Um, there was never, you know, any uh, official training. You just okay. uh, met with the agency and they were screening you. Do you have, you know, the brains to do that? 
Okay. Is your appearance, um, let's say, common enough? Yes. <laughs> you can easily blend in uh, uh, with the society if you, for instance, need to um, uh, track someone. So things like that. It was also very helpful that uh, I spoke well multiple languages. I spoke Polish, English, German, Spanish, Latin, actually. Okay. So, Not so useful for a private investigator, probably. No, but very fancy. <laughs> yes, very fancy. <laughs> yeah, so I did that for a while. And, you know, um, I was doing it until it actually lost its appeal. And I wanted okay. to try something new. But uh, that's the thing. Like, if you have an idea, just act on it. You know, either you suck at it or you don't. You know, you can do it for a day. You can do it for 10 years, like, for instance, with, uh, with swords. So I don't have ideas that I don't act on. If something goes into my head, I just try to make it happen, you know? So do you have any filter for really bad ideas so you don't end up doing something incredibly stupid? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have that problem too. Like, I'm in the middle of doing something that I know is an absolutely brilliant idea. I've just had them, oh, I'm just cracking on it. Then I go, oh, that's great. Hang on. <laughs> Well, this is really I, stupid. I, I have Oscar, you know, ah, okay, yeah. the voice of reason in this relationship and in my, this house. Pretty my much. wife serves a similar role. Yeah, she's. Yeah, it's useful to have that. But... Although sometimes I don't run the idea by her because I know she's going to shoot it down, and I want to try it anyway. Exactly. I have <laughs> I'm sorry, Oscar, if you're listening to that. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes when I know that he's definitely going to say no, I just don't tell him. Yeah. That's but he's, you know, wonderful enough. So when I actually do something that I shouldn't and I come back, you know, to complain, he doesn't say, I told you so, or like, you shouldn't do that. It's like, he's always comforting. Well, he's amazing. Well, good. <laughs> that's, that's what it's supposed to be. My wife is the same. Yeah, maybe, but maybe, maybe my wife is actually Oscar. They sound very similar. I think that everyone should have their own Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, my next question is, and if somebody gave you a million euros to spend improving historical martial arts worldwide, how would you spend it? Robotic Oscars is obviously the outright answer. Yeah, but it, they definitely need to have the fancy moustache that he has. You can put that on a robot. Yeah. If we can add like pomade to the box, that should also be good. Okay. But in all seriousness, I don't think perhaps robotic Oscars can be done for just a million euros. <laughs> so, so... And not, they're not really that historical martial arts specific. So how would you spend the money? You know what? Um, I would love to be able to create events uh, as a safe space for women, non-binary people, and marginalized people. Okay. And be able to offer scholarships, for instance. Um, okay. We I know have... such events do exist. I know yeah, Fran, have... Fran Temniello, for example. Sorry, Fran um, Laquata. Exactly. So we have By the Sword uh, yeah. in the UK. Uh, there used to be also a Frauentag in Germany, but I haven't heard anything about that. And I think there might be something in Canada. But we are discussing three events that I am aware of worldwide. which I, I think know my sure. friend Kaya runs Big Gay Sword Day, which is similar in mm -hmm. theme. Um, yeah, and there's, there's been a Canada, Big Gay Sword. Right? Yeah, she's in Vancouver. Sorry, they're in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. um, and um, a friend of mine, Connor, in Texas, he's also run a big gay sword day for his club. 
which okay. is the same sort of idea, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so you, would you use the money for the event or for the scholarships? Uh, both. So one part of the idea was to create the events. And second, scholarships. But scholarships for um, people to be able to attend events that they normally can't afford. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a look, for instance, uh, at the lineup of uh, instructors at most of the events, this is like 80-90% of men yeah, and women, not much. And the thing is that we have so many uh, women with amazing ideas that are able to run fascinating workshops, but we just uh, don't invite them. So I would be able to, you know, pay the fare, pay the accommodation, pay them for teaching and have them there. That would be pretty awesome. I would. Out of I curiosity, would. what would you do with the million euros? How would ah. you do our community? <laughs> um, obviously, see, I keep, I keep getting these questions. I keep asking these questions to the guests. There have been over 100 guests so far, right? Mm -hmm. So I've gotten a lot of different answers but they tend to boil down into creating events creating scholarships making equipment more available creating a permanent center like a research center with you know like basically like a castle with like training halls and armories and a stables and a That's place a for archery one. and yeah i mean there's there's all sorts of possibilities um I think, do you know what? Hmm, tell me. I think, okay. The thing I think historical martial arts is fundamentally missing is a properly moderated international space, like Facebook, but properly moderated all the arseholes get filtered out, right? And the reason it would take quite a lot of money is you'd have to build it and then you'd have to run it and the people running it should be paid to run it and the people on it should pay to be on it but in proportion to what is reasonable given their financial status, right? So some people may be paying, I don't know, a dollar a month and other people might be paying $50 a month. Right, but and having the whole thing so that there is there is a place like Facebook groups, like you take all the historical martial arts Facebook groups that exist, and you put them all on one platform and made it not Facebook, and um, you know zero tolerance for trolling, mansplaining, disrespectful behaviour of any kind that sort of thing, so that people would get kicked off immediately. I mean, there would have to be a review process. You can't just say, oh, somebody was mean to me, and off they go. Yeah, right? but actually when you report an issue, it's reviewed. When you report an issue, it's actually dealt with by a human being in a timely mm -hmm. manner. The thing is, Facebook has a billion users or more, right? They can't reasonably do that. The proportion of users on Facebook to Facebook employees is it must be – Something close to a thousand to one. Just right. last week, I got the uh, information about my report that I filed two years ago. Okay. Well, there you go. 
It was projected, by the way. How rude. <laughs> oh, fuck them. But, th- but, then, but then think, like, we'd only be talking about maybe 10,000 people. Maybe 20. If we include the SCA, as we should, they're actually quite a bit bigger, but they have a bunch of stuff that isn't the source. So mm-hmm. a lot of the SCA people wouldn't necessarily be interested because it's not the SCA stuff that they do. Um Maybe it's 50,000 people, right? Which is small by internet standards. Manageable, yes. It's manageable, exactly. And it could be managed by admins and moderators and having the filter of you actually have to pay for it. But it's not a profit-breaking organization. It's, It's not run as a business for profit. It's run as a service to the community that the community pays for. Right, so the million euros would get us started. Maybe I need ten million euros, but it's, it's my imaginary money. So I'm just going to add an extra nine million. Um, yeah, and I think because I think then there would be there would be better interactions between more people, and if the whole thing was set up entirely for the benefit of the art itself, then and it would make money probably. But if you've got 50,000 people and saying they're paying an average of 20 grand, uh, sorry, $20 a month, that is that's a million dollars a month in turnover. That is a lot of money that we could put towards scholarships, paying translators, creating permanent training spaces, subsidizing equipment sales um, so that, for example, our friend Anthony in France um, can send weapons to some country that has a poor exchange rate with the euro, I don't know, Peru maybe, right? And so the community as a whole subsidizes the community. That's fucking okay. genius. So are we discussing a new project? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Possibilities. Maybe. And, and for me, like the shibboleth test is... Would I actually want to spend time on that? Right? I I'd think like, a lot of people would like to I th- do that. I think they would. Um, but the problem is getting people from Facebook onto this sword book, whatever it's going to be called. Well, if you allow cut videos, I'm pretty sure we can manage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there would have to be a separate category for cat videos because it's well known that every internet project that does not have cat videos on it fails. So we'd have to have a category for, for cat videos just <laughs> to ensure the project against failure. Um, I, I have a really good example in front of me right now. <laughs> yes, but for the listeners, um, Mila's cat has made an appearance and is now getting the attention it deserves. <laughs> hey, push up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, we can give it a shot. Let's see. Um, <laughs> I'm really curious to actually investigate it. You know, out of pure curiosity, whether something like that would have a chance to succeed. Yeah. See, I think it would because there are. Okay, actually. It's just come to mind. I used to rent uh, office space from the university here in Ipswich. And there was a bloke there who 
ran something just like that for truckers in the UK. Truckers. Okay, another niche. Yeah, right. It's a clearly defined niche. But truck drivers have specific needs, specific interests. Specific information is useful to them that is not useful to other people. They have specific skills that they may want to develop or talk about. Have you ever seen a really experienced trucker loading the back of his lorry with those those wireframe things that they take milk crates around in? Oh, my God, right? These people have skills. And and his his business, which was doing very well and making him a fortune, was making a whole bunch of truckers in the UK very, very happy. Right? If he could do that for truckers, I don't see why we couldn't do that for sword people. You know what? Um, after we are done with our lovely chat, we yeah. can discuss, you know, when this one <laughs> goes live. And... <laughs> Pretty much create a, a poll, you know, on, on Facebook and Instagram, asking people whether they will be actually interested in uh, a platform purely dedicated to HEMA. Without ah, would, would, would have to drop, would have to drop the <laughs> E. We have to drop the E. Because it's not just historical European martial arts, it's historical martial arts generally. I will die right. on this hill if I need to. Because otherwise, like my friend, um, uh, Dr. Khorasani, who does Persian martial arts, he can't come. And honestly, he would kick most of our asses. He is really, really good at sword fighting. And it would be silly to, you know, not include. Yeah, see, to my mind, the H is sufficient because it's what defines what we do is that we care about the sources and we get our martial art from written sources from people who are long dead. That's what makes them historical. That process, if, if the sources exist can be done from, with sources from any period, any culture, any country, any language, right? I'm not aware of sufficiently detailed sources that have been written in Japanese, for instance. Most of them tend to be much more like Zettel, but without all the glosses that make the Zettel useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they existed, we could have, the historical martial arts approach could be applied to a Japanese art or a Filipino art or whatever, you just need to have written sources. So we'd, we'd, need, we'd need to drop the E off the project. I think we can drop the E. Because Good. honestly, if you think about that, uh, a lot of people use that E as a matter of gatekeeping. Yeah, exactly. Right? And I, that's fucking disgusting. Right? Yeah. The art is there to enjoy, you know, by everyone. Yeah. And I would love to, for instance, learn more about Persian martial arts. Right. So... Maybe I should have a chat with your friend. Well, or, or you can even just, he's, he's been on the show. You can listen to his mm-hmm. <laughs> his podcast episode and, and I'll happily put you in touch. Um, <laughs> he's, a, he's a fascinating bloke. Um, and yeah, very. I, I, I met him in New Zealand and I watched him teach and I watched him do a bit of sparring. I'm like, I, I would happily fence him any day. I would not want to fight him ever. Do you think that this would work in the street? <laughs> I work in pretty much any street where they don't have guns. <laughs> yeah. Sounds amazing. Let's do this. Uh, well, maybe we shall. Maybe we shall. <laughs> Let's see. All righty. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Mila. It's been lovely talking to you. Thanks for the chat. It was a pleasure.
Lovely. Okay, now let me stop the recording. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mila. You can find the episode show notes at swordschool.com forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can sign up to my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my book, Sword Fighting for Writers, Game Designers and Martial Artists. I'd like to thank my patrons on Patreon for their kind support of the show. It lets me know that you care about the show and want it to continue. You can join us there for behind-the-scenes content and to submit your questions for future guests. That's patreon.com forward slash the sword guy. Thanks, as always, to Andrew Lawrence King for the Baroque harp accents originally recorded for my Paradoxes of Defense audiobook project. Join us next week when I will be talking to Ruth Goodman. Again! Actually, not again. The thing is, I'm on holiday. Katie, who does the transcriptions and uploads and everything and all the podcasts I've been, is also on holiday. And so during August, we will be repeating a couple of episodes for the first time in the Sword Guy history. And next week's show, if you've been listening to us since the beginning, you may remember Ruth Goodman from oh, nearly two years ago now. Um, and so we're going to be repeating her excellent episode. For those that haven't heard episode 44 before. Ruth is the doyen of the living history scene in the UK. She's the author of How to Be a Tudor, How to Be a Victorian, and even How to Behave Badly in Renaissance Britain. She's been a consultant to the BBC and the Globe Theatre, and we have a fascinating conversation about all sorts of things living history. You definitely don't want to miss that, so subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast from, and while you're there, please do rate the show, and if you have an extra minute, do leave a review. It really helps. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week.